Okay, turn to someone near you and tell them what you want for Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? Diana, what do you want for Christmas? Diana needs a garbage can. Okay. I'm going to go to somebody more interesting. Brian, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Your eye fixed. Oh, oh, that's a big one. That's a big one. Okay, good. Tony, what do you want for Christmas? Place to sleep. Yep. It's got to happen. Good. What do you want? What, let me hear. What do you want for Christmas? Some of you call it out. What, what are some of those interesting things you just heard? Come on. Oh, tell me. Back corner. <laughs> A husband and wife couple are refusing to say what they want for Christmas. We're just going to let that be. We're going to let that be. Okay. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll this first video of this is what somebody wanted for Christmas. Let's get you in the Christmas spirit a little bit here. Now listen to this next part. Here's the list. All right. So the wish list so far, here's our wish list, is a pair of hop-along boots, a pistol that shoots, Dolls that will talk and will go for a walk. And school to start again. Some parents start wishing for that after day two. Okay, good. Uh, what are these next people wanting for Christmas? Go ahead and roll that next one. You know it. You know it. Come on, people of the 90s. Come on. <laughs> Just bring it. Keep it singing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Here's what I want for Christmas. All right, all right, very good, good. 
So at the top of this wish list is simply you. <laughs> you. You, the romantic relationships. All I want for Christmas is you. I want this romantic relationship. Okay, and just one more, one more. All right, all right, there we go. So we have on our wish list, we have a pair of hop-along boots, a pistol that shoots, dolls that will talk and will go for a walk, school to start again, you and my two front teeth. So what is on your wish list? What is on your wish list? Maybe your wish list for Christmas is something simple. Uh, Diana wants a trash can for Christmas. Somebody should hook her up with a trash can. Uh, maybe it is simple like a pair of hop-along boots or something that, uh, that's, that's, uh, or a pistol that shoots, so you want a toy. Or maybe your wish list is more complicated, like falling in love, which as we know is always complicated, right? Or maybe in your deepest, most personal moments, if you were to be really honest with yourself, maybe your wish list includes some of the deeper things in life. You know, the things that money can't buy. The deeper hungers of the heart. The desire to undo the past. The desire for a certain future. Uh, a place to really belong. Healing in a relationship or relief from stress. Just a little bit of peace. Purpose for your life. Seeking direction. Maybe there are some of these deeper things that are on our wish list, too. There, there's a nostalgia that comes at Christmas time. There's this, this sense of, of kind of a, a bittersweetness, a sentimentalism that is around Christmas. I always think of it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas as my, my grandpa and my dad. They always sang that song as I was growing up, and I always think of Poppy and my dad singing that song. And there's this sentimentalism that comes because Christmas highlights all of the things that we long for, the good times we've had in the past, the hope for more good times in the future. Christmas has a way of highlighting our deeper longings, and it has a way of accentuating what's missing in our lives. Some sort of love in your life, a person that you wish were in your life, an absence of someone in your life. Christmas often reminds us of our, our deepest desires. We have our blue Christmas service coming up next week, Sunday night. I always look forward to this service. It's always a simple service. It's one in which we, we spend time just remembering, not forcing merriment, not saying we're just going to push through and, and celebrate everything. We're, we're pausing to say sometimes Christmas isn't merry. And we're pausing to recognize those deeper desires, those unfulfilled longings, those unfulfilled desires that are part of our lives. It's always a special service. I hope you'll come next Sunday night at 7 p.m. Blaise Pascal was a scientist and a leading Christian thinker in the 17th century. And he said this famous quotation. Would you read this out loud with me? There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but 
only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. We all have a hole inside of us that can only be fit by God. He's the only one who can fill that empty place, those wishes, those longings, those desires that we have. And God designed us this way. God designed us with a God-shaped hole. He created us and made us so that there, there is a piece of us that could only experience satisfaction and fulfillment by him. Augustine is another church father, and he also said this famous quotation, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them in his Another word for that, for the word image is icon. He made us icons of himself. We are the physical representation of the spiritual deity of God. There is something incredible about being God's image bearers. We are stamped by God himself, and there is a part of us that can only be fulfilled as we are in communion with God and with his people. All of creation is designed to be in harmony with God, but there's something unique about humanity and how God made us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has also set eternity in the human heart. Isn't that a mysterious verse? I love that verse. He has set eternity in the human heart. There's something in us that longs for the bigger life. Something in us that understands there's more than just what we see and what we experience here in this limited human existence. Early on in the, in the human story, Genesis 3, you know this story well, when human connection with God became warped by sin, sin enters the world, and this is when our wish lists really began. We really began to wish for God to bring us back to the garden, for God to restore what was broken, for God to deal with the problem of death and pain and suffering, for God to deal with the problems of work and labor. Sin entered the world and our deepest longings began. And God made a promise early, early in the Bible. Genesis 3, God makes a promise to Adam and Eve, someday I am going to send a rescuer to bring you out of this predicament that you've gotten yourselves into. And he said, yes, this rescuer will be struck by the devil, but he he says he will strike your heel, but the rescuer will crush his head. Yes, he will be struck and wounded by the enemy, but the rescuer would trample on his head. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. And so, we have, that's the first of many messianic prophecies, prophecies about the Messiah, prophecies about the Savior, that God is going to send a rescuer to fulfill the deepest longings of our heart. Fast forward centuries, we come to the man Abraham. God chose Abraham to officially enact the great rescue plan. God says, okay, Abraham, it's time. I'm going to do business with you, Abraham. Your help, your rescuer is on the way. The rescue plan begins. More centuries pass. Centuries, to be honest, that were often filled with difficulty, pain, and suffering. 
The people of God were formed. The people of Israel were formed. And God meets with them. God wants them to know him. He comes in tabernacles among them. He comes and gives them his presence. He, come, he says, if you want to be in communion with me, this is how we do things. I need you to be holy. Here is how we do relationship here. He sets up a series of covenants. God's doing all these things to reach out to his people, to draw them into relationship with himself. And there were miracles along the way. There were big miracles along the way. There's a miracle baby in a couple's old age. There's a miraculous deliverance out of slavery. There's a miraculous parting of the Red Sea. God's doing really big things along the way. The problem is that there are years and years and years in between these miracles, and people forget. People forget. We forget about the faith. We forget about the demonstration of God. We get bogged down in the everyday. And in between the miracles, while the people wait and wait and wait, they long, they long, and they long for a better life. They long for babies. They long for bread. They long for better days. And this longing for the good life, the flourishing, this longing for security, for this good life, led them to restlessness. God, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And eventually the restlessness gave way to flat-out dissatisfaction. God, I don't like how my life is right now. And eventually that led to grumbling, and eventually the grumbling led to them demanding things of God. Anytime you are in a position of demanding things of God, check yourself because you are in the wrong space. And they began to demand things of God. They eventually demanded that God would give them a king. They said, God, you have promised us to deliver. God, you have promised us to rescue. You've been talking about this for centuries. Where is this rescuer? When are you going to come through? How long do we have to wait, oh God? And so they said, give us a king. God said, my will isn't for you to have a king right now, not a human king. And they said, well, give us a king anyway. And God gave them what they wanted. It went okay for a little while, but didn't go well for long. And after just three generations of kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, things were already not going well. By the time we got to King David, the second of the kings, David, God does bless David. He calls David a man after his own heart. There is hope for the king at this point. There is hope for the people of Israel. And God says, I'm going to make a covenant with David, and I'm going to establish a Davidic covenant with him. And the promise was that there would never fail to be a king from the line of David on the throne of Israel. There would always be a king from David's line on the throne of Israel. He makes this promise. The people say, this is good. This is good. This is the kind of flourishing life that we want. Next generation takes us to David's son, Solomon. So David's line is continuing, and Solomon, Solomon has a wish list. And interestingly enough, God comes to him, and he says, Solomon, what do you want for Christmas? Maybe not Christmas, but Solomon, what do you want for Christmas? Whatever you want, tell me, and I'll give it to you. Solomon asks for wisdom. God loves this request. God gives Solomon wisdom. He becomes known as the wisest man on earth. And through his wisdom, he gains many, many riches. Extremely wealthy, extremely influential, extremely powerful. Solomon had everything that wealth could provide. He had all the success and fame he could want. He had all the women he could want. And yet, despite his knowledge, despite his understanding, despite his belongings, and despite all he had, he still had an emptiness inside. 
Solomon is associated with the poetic book Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, listen to what he writes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is from the man who has everything. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? And in verse 17, he says, Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. He says, all of this is vanity. All of this is smoke and fog. All of this is a vapor. These things don't satisfy. And in the end, at the end of the book, he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Even the wisest man, the man who had pretty much everything, had a wish list. And he said, I'm looking for meaning. I'm looking for purpose in my life. Well, after a while, things take a turn. A turn for the worse. After Solomon, Israel doesn't do too well. There's division in the country. They split into the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. They've got lots of wars, internal civil wars, wars from the outside. They're always, it's all, things are always bad. And the short story is when they follow God, things go well. When they don't follow God, things go bad. And they, most of the time, they're not following God. Most of the time, things are going bad. Israel's not doing well. It's the end. We eventually come. What They linger, they linger, they struggle, they like barely survive, and uh, the northern kingdom goes away and is obliterated. The southern kingdom, which is the line of David, hangs on for a little bit longer, but in the end, even the southern kingdom is conquered by the Babylonian army in, in the 500s, and the line of David is extinguished, which is very confusing. Because they're asking themselves, didn't God say that the line of David would continue into eternity? Didn't God make a promise? And they're confused. Sometimes when we're confused and we don't understand what God is doing, we do like what the Israelites did, which is then turn all the way away from God. It's times like these when we don't get our wish lists fulfilled when we stop trusting God, we stop trusting his bigger picture. We say, I'm not going to pray anymore because it doesn't work. I'm not going to follow God anymore because it's not worth it. I'm not going to believe in him anymore because I just think it's not worth the effort. I'm not seeing what I think I should see as fruit from that. And so we stop praying. We stop following him. We stop obeying him because we just think it doesn't matter anyway. God named his people Israel. Israel is a Hebrew word. You know what Israel means? It means he wrestles with God. How would you like your name to be wrestler with God? Hey, that's our name. That's us, right? We are Israel. We wrestle with God. We struggle with him. We want to be connected to him. We want to be in relationship, but we struggle with him because he takes so long to do all the things we think he should do fast, and he doesn't always do the things we think he should do. This is our constant desire to try to play God. We, we think that we're going to know it better. We are Israel. We have wishes for a better life. We have longings for deeper things, but combined with our impatience and our short-sighted, limited view and our natural resistance to experiencing pain, 
it tempts us to stray from God and to seek uh, to seek answers, to seek fulfillment in other things, in other people, and things that are not primarily God. In the Bible, they call this idolatry. And we do the very thing that God says not to. We turn our backs on him. We stop doing things his way. We take matters into our own hands and say, I can run my life better than the God of the universe can. The story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is a story of people struggling with God. It's a story of God coming after people. It's a story of God saying, there's more. Don't lose hope. Throughout the scriptures, the Bible regularly describes our relationship with God in the metaphor of marriage. Just like there is a covenant between a husband and wife, God says there's a covenant between me and my people. And over and over again, God describes Israel like an unfaithful spouse. God says, I'm committed in this relationship, and, and you're not. You're wandering away. You're driven by your longings. You're seeking satisfaction elsewhere. You're trying to fill that God-shaped hole with something else. You're doing other things instead of primarily seeking me. And before you start judging other people, you need to know we are Israel. We are the unfaithful. We are the ones who wander from God. We become distracted, driven by our longings. And maybe we try to come back for a while, and for a while maybe we do. But the reality is that the story of our lives is constantly wandering off. The story of our lives is constantly failing in the relationship. And the reality is that we need a rescuer to help us find God. The scriptures tell us not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. 1 John 1 says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Well, the people keep coming to God. The people keep having a wish list. And they keep saying, All right, we want freedom. We want release from stress. We don't want all, the, all those rules that you give us, God, because, you know, those are kind of burdensome. We want this. We want that. We want the abundant life, God, that you promised us. We want all that you said that we could have. We want that deliverer. We want that good life that you said that we could have. And we're going to do it our way because clearly you're not going to come through for us. And so eventually God gives them over to their longings. God doesn't force them to follow him, just like he doesn't force us to follow him. He asks for their trust. They decide not to give it. He's asking for our trust. We have to decide if we will give him our trust. But he eventually gives them over to what they want, and it leads to their destruction. It always works this way. If, if you're doing what you want and it's not God's way, it, it might be good for a minute, but eventually it will lead to your tearing down, your destruction, losses in your life. But the people of Israel, when Jerusalem gets torn down, when those walls get broken down in, in fi the 500s BC, and when the people of, of Israel and Judah are driven out of their country, they go into exile, this is the consequence for their disobedience to God. God uses that time to form them. 
And for 400 years, they do not have the voice of a prophet speaking to them. For 400 years, they simply have to remember all the words that God has already said to them, all the scriptures God has already given to them, all of the prophets that have already come up to this point and told them how to live, what to look for, to hold on to the promise that the rescuer is coming. Between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, Malachi into Genesis, we just, in your Bibles, it's just a page away. But there's 400 years of history that happened in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years of silence where their wish list is getting stronger and stronger. And God uses this season to form them and to shape their hearts for his desires. C.S. Lewis has a quotation that says, Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And God uses this kind of pain to be a megaphone in their life to say, wake up, pay attention. And it's in this time, they've, they've known about the Messiah, they've known about the deliverer that's, come, that's been promised for a long, long time. But it's especially in this season of 400 years that, that they are calling this rescuer the Messiah. The Hebrew word is, is Messiah, Messiah. The Greek word is Christos, which is where we get Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the rescuer. And they began talking about this rescuer. And at the top of their wish list, it was probably further down at one point, but it moves up gradually in priority, where eventually at the top of their wish list, they have, we wish for the Messiah. We wish for the Christ. Come, God, send your deliverer to rescue us. Come, God, We've now moved back. You know the story. We just talked about it the last few weeks with Nehemiah. They've moved back to Jerusalem. They've rebuilt Jerusalem. Since then, Roman occupation has come in, and, and they're now the governing authorities in Jerusalem over this country of Israel. And that's the setting in which Jesus lives with Rome occupying that area. And, and so they're home. They're back in Jerusalem, but they're still crying out, God, send us, send us our rescuer. Send us the deliverer. Did you have a time ever when you really wanted something for Christmas? You really wanted it. It was like the only thing you wanted. It didn't even matter if you got anything else. There was one thing you really wanted. If you had a wish list, there was one thing on it. Have you ever had that? All your attention was fixated on, on that one thing. But, but then, when it came time to open that present, it wasn't there. Anyone ever have that experience? It wasn't that, or, or maybe it wasn't the right brand, or it wasn't quite right, or maybe it was underwear, or it was just, it wasn't what you really had wanted. And you weren't impressed, and you thought, this isn't what I was hoping for. When Jesus was born as a weak, fragile, vulnerable baby, to poor nobodies from the nothing town of Nazareth, there were plenty of people who weren't impressed. Who, were say, who would say, this isn't what we were hoping for. Top of my list is Messiah, someone to come in and conquer the Romans, and this is not my idea of God answering that prayer. The Messiah was supposed to deliver them from the Romans, not be delivered to the Romans and be crucified on a cross. That's not 
the kind of rescuer. That's not the kind of gift. That's not what they wanted from their wish list. But little did they know that Jesus, this baby who was born in the line of David, part of the Davidic dynasty, the fulfillment of prophecy, would be the linchpin in God's master plan. So here's the thing about wish lists. We, we all have them. We all have longings. We all have deep desires. We all have things in our lives that we want to be different. We all have an ache in our soul for that eternal thing, for that big thing. We all have a deep hunger for something more. We all want God to fix us in deeper ways. We all want God to meet our, and give us fulfillment of, of the, and if, if you've lived as a, as a Christ follower for a long time, you've probably seen seasons of your life where you've, you've felt that fulfillment, you've, you've sensed that. But then we're prone to wander. We're prone to, to drift from God. And we forget, and we start to fill up those God-shaped holes with other things. God has a wish list, too. God has a wish list, too. He has things that he longs for, that he hopes for. God is not this emotionless, static being. He made us in our image, remember? So God has feelings. We see this in the Bible all the time. He has feelings and emotions. God has desires and longings like we do. It's just that his are completely pure and holy. God has longings so great his longings are for us, and those longings are so great, he came after us. The first thing on his wish list, number one, is he wants to rescue you from the mess of your life. He wants to rescue you from you. He wants to rescue you from all the people against you. He wants to rescue you from all the systems against you. He wants to rescue you from the enemy. He wants to rescue you from yourself. His heart breaks for our lostness. I think so often we think, well, you know, I'm kind of a mess right now, and so let me pull myself together, and then, and then I'll get myself to church once I'm cleaned up a little bit. Or God can't use me because I'm just too messed up. I, I can't serve him. I can't do ministry for him because I'm just too messed up. And God wants to rescue you from the mess of your life. His heart breaks for our lostness. He is passionate about us in our mess. He says, bring your widow's might. Bring who you are. In Matthew 18, Jesus is telling a parable about a shepherd and sheep, and he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one who went astray? Church, you believe this about other people. You believe that Jesus will do this for other people, but do you believe he'll do it for you? Do you believe that he'll come after, whether you wander a, sh a short distance or whether you wander to a far-off country, do you believe that this is the God who wants to come after you. His desire is to rescue you from the mess of your life. He wants you to have the abundant life. In the scriptures, Jesus says multiple lines of why he came to earth. I love these reasons. Why Jesus came. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus says, I have come to call sinners. I've come to call sinners. Did you catch that he didn't come to just get the most spiritual people or the goodest people? He came to call sinners like us. He came to sinners. Jesus says in John 5, I have come in my Father's name. You need to know the God of the universe, the creator God, 
saw us, said, I'm sending my son to do what needs to be done. And Jesus says, I've come in my father's name. John 6, he says, I have come to do the will of God. It is God's will to come after us. Jesus came in John 7, he says, I, have, I come from him and he sent me to you. Do you understand that Jesus is on mission to us? He is on a rescue mission. He is the ambassador sent to get us. Jesus says in John 12, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world. Jesus says, I see the darkness. I see your darkness. Some of you have come from unimaginably ugly and dark places. God knows the brokenness. God knows where we have been. God knows what we have been through. And he says, I've come to shine a light on that darkness. In Luke 19, Jesus says, you want to know why I came? I came to seek and save the lost. I'm not here for those who aren't lost. I'm here for the lost. And then it just gets even better. <laughs> Jesus says in John 10, 10, 10, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Isn't that what we've always been wanting? Isn't that the cry of scripture all through the Old Testament and up to the time of Jesus and even now where we want the better life? We want the life, the eternal life that we've been designed for, that God created us for. My, Jesus says, my purpose is to give you an abundant life, which leads us to number two. He wants you to have abundant life. Let's just talk about that one for a minute. He wants you to flourish. He wants goodness toward you. God is both holy and he is just. God is merciful and he is just. He is the perfect combination of righteous judgment and compassionate love. I do not know how he's going to sort all that out in eternity. I do not know how he's going to sort that all out at judgment day because he will judge us. He will, it says that all of us will stand before his judgment throne. All I know is that the scripture gives us confidence that we, that we will hear the judgment of God and we will say, that was the right one. He will judge in righteousness and holiness. And yet he is also full of love and compassion and mercy. He's going to figure out that combo. He wants us to have abundant life. He wants goodness for us. I love, my favorite part of the Christmas story is when the angel comes to the shepherds and says, I bring you good news. Good news! So often the prophets in the Old Testament were having to bring the bad news. And the angel says, I bring you good news. Your rescuer has been born. And I love the part in, the, in this, in the, I love the King James Version where it says that, God, that the angels say, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Goodwill. God wills good toward us. God is up in heaven sending his son to us, willing goodness he wants goodness for us. He wants our flourishing. He's not just being a miser withholding goodness from us because he's like, hmm, I'm going to see who's going to deserve it today. He's filled with love for you. He's filled with compassion for you. He has a vision for your life. He sees the purpose of your life. And while you are here, God has goodwill toward us. That 
is the announcement that comes at Christmas. He wants you to have abundant life. And that can only be fulfilled with God in you. Number three, he wants best over good. Sometimes we have wish lists and uh, we, hold, we bring our wish list to God and we say, okay, God, I want these things. And sometimes God says, yes, I will give you these things. God says, wait, maybe tomorrow. And other times he says, no, you can't have that. I think back to some of the things that I prayed for to God when, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, prayed super hard, passionately wanted. If you would have asked me what's on my list, wish list, I would have said this was on my wish list. Passionately wanted it, passionately prayed. And I, now, at this stage of my life, I am so glad God did not answer those prayers. So glad. It was a gift of God that he, did, that he said no to those prayers. The Israelites had a wish list at the time of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus where they're on their wish list was, we want a conquering war hero who's going to save us from the oppressive Roman, cruel Romans. And God said, no, I won't give you the conquering war hero. I'm going to give you the little baby who's going to grow up poor and he's going to be a person of no consequence and he's going to look so ordinary that when he grows up to be a man, people are going to say, who is this man? Because God is working out a different plan. God is working out a different plan, and he always wants to give us best over good. When my son Elijah was three and a half years old, very cute, we went to the Santa Claus parade downtown here in Grand Rapids. And at the very end of the parade, they had huge snowplows as like the, the wrap-up of the parade. I know I've seen snow plows. Like I've seen the snow plows on the highway. We're talking like twice as big. I don't know where these plows plowed, but they, they were massive, beautiful machinery beasts. I mean, they were bright yellow, and they were the biggest snow plows I have ever seen. They were very impressive. And Elijah, as a three and a half year old who was obsessed with all things that had wheels on them, was just so fascinated with the snow plows. It was all he could talk about. He talked about. The, he was silent through the whole thing, and then after the parade was over, it just talked all day all day about, about the snowplows. And, and so w- we get in the car, we drive home, and he says, he says, Mom, I need a snowplow for my birthday. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, honey, I don't know that we're going to be able to do that for your birthday, and you know there's some complications with that. And, and, uh, but he kept repeating it. He kept repeating it all day long, all day long. And apparently he didn't feel like I was giving enough credibility to that request because when... At later on, Adam said goodnight to him. Elijah said, Daddy, I really think I can do it. I really think I would be good at driving that snowplow. I really think I can do it. And then he said, but I would need a little one. I would need a tiny snowplow, and I would need a tiny driver's license too. <laughs> Church, sometimes we say, God, I'm ready for that snowplow. Snowplow's on my list. And God's like, I, I just have something different for you. You having a snowplow would be disastrous. <laughs> and sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says no because he has something that is good. It's not bad to want the snowplow. Sometimes we ask God for good things. And God says, nope, that is good, but I have something better. God's wish for you, his desire and longing for you, 
is so intense and so strong that he doesn't want to settle for anything less than his best. The fourth thing, so the, what, what's on God's wish list, number one, he wants to rescue you from the mess of your life. Number two, he wants you to have abundant life. Number three, he wants best over good. And number four, he wants you. And not to overdo Mariah Carey, but all God wants for Christmas is you. He wants you. You sing it. You sing it. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your family. He wants your past. He wants your plans. He wants your hopes. He wants your sorrows. He wants it all. He wants it all not because he wants to take life from you, but because he wants to give you abundant life. God is chasing after you, and he says, I made you with a God-shaped hole that only I can fill. Come and let me fill it. Come and let me fill it. Stop filling yourself with all the things, with the things that you think are going to satisfy. Stop. Fill, some of you are filling up your lives with a busy calendar so you don't have to stop and pay attention to me at work. Some of you are filling up yourselves with, with, with food that you should not be having. Some of you are filling yourselves with passions, with people, with relationships, and you're seeking fulfillment in relationships and other people. God says, stop trying to fill that God-shaped hole with things that maybe aren't bad, maybe they're good, but aren't my best. God is chasing after you, and you are at the top of his list. His people have always been his priority. The whole Bible is about a God who chases us. From the beginning in Genesis, when God says, all right, you messed up, I'm coming after you. To when he says to Abraham, all right, it's time, I'm coming after you. To when he says in the time of David and Solomon, all right, things are starting, king is coming. To the time of the prophets, the time when they're in exile, and God says, I'm coming after you, I'm coming after you, I'm going to rescue you. To the time when he brings Jesus and he says, rescuers here time now. The whole Bible is the story of God chasing us, and then the whole New Testament is all is about him coming after us in full force, and the Holy Spirit coming on this world, and, and filling the believers, and God coming after us. This is the, the story of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came after us. He left heaven, put on human skin, and came to us. He didn't ask us to come make a trip to heaven. He came to us. And in Revelation 3.20, the words of Jesus to us are, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, this is what I'm doing to you. Coming after you. I'm going to keep on knocking. I'm pursuing you. I'm chasing you down because I want you. I want you. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling not on the other side of the tracks, not in the next town over, but made his dwelling among the likes of us. He was in the world, John 1.10 says, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him because he wasn't on their wish list like that. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We have Christmas because God so loved this world that he sent his son, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the answer to our deepest desires. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill that God-shaped whole. And our journey as believers, our journey as people who have faith in Jesus is a journey like Israel where, where we struggle with God along the way. And sometimes we forget. And sometimes we start, start filling up those empty places with other things, with other gods, with other things we worship. And we forget. And then we have to pause and say, oh, no, sorry, God, I'm off track. Fill me, God. Fill me with you, your purpose, your priorities, your way, your will, your laws, your covenant. The purpose of Christmas, the reason God sent his son, is to meet the deepest desires of our heart, to bring the longing and the fulfillment that we so desire to have, to bring that abundant life, that fullness of life that we all deeply want, to prepare us for eternity that he's put in our hearts. J.D., come on up. And I just want to... I want to give you a minute to just pause. To pause and to think about the empty spots. To pay attention to the longings that you have. It's not wrong to have longings. It's not bad to have longings. Sometimes our longings will mislead us if we let them run our lives. But will you stop for a moment here at the beginning of the Christmas season, early in December, it's December 3, and pay attention to the God-shaped hole that's in your life. What's your go-to for filling that hole? What's your go-to? What, what do you usually use to help yourself through the hard times? How are you coping with stress? How are you coping with the loss? How are you coping with the lack of direction and the confusion? How are you coping with your anger and bitterness? What are you filling your life with right now? What are you chasing after? What are you pursuing? What are you going after to fill that desire? Your desires aren't necessarily bad. They can be, but they're not necessarily bad. Are you pursuing the only one who can satisfy? Only total surrender to Jesus can bring what we're longing for. A total giving up a relinquishing of control, saying, I, I can't run my life. I keep trying. I can't or orchestrate my life. I keep trying. But only total surrender to Jesus can bring the satisfaction that we want. And it might not come right away. It might not come to stay for a while. 
but you'll be on the path toward it because Jesus has the long view in mind. And trust, trust the words of God, trust the words of Scripture, trust the prophets and the centuries and centuries of fulfilled prophecies, trust the promises of Jesus that your wish list can only ultimately be filled by him. Would you bow your heads and look in your hearts? Today, if you would say, if you can say to the Lord, all I want for Christmas this year, God, is you. God, I, I so often wander away. I so often stray. I so often try to fulfill my desires, my wishes, without considering what you might have for me. And God, I just pause today and I turn from that. And I just say, I want you to fill that hole. Help me to pursue the godly, the holy, the pure. And church, if you can say to the Lord today, all I want for Christmas this year, God, is you. I just want you to fill me, empower me, renew me. I want you more than I want me. I want you, I want your desires for me more than my own desires. I offer my submission to you. I offer my surrender to you. I just want more of you, God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Say, here I am, God. You see me. Fill us, Lord God. You sent the gift of your Son, and then you sent the gift of your Spirit. And you've given us the opportunity to be filled by your Spirit. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. We turn our backs on all the things and all the ways, all the people, all the situations and places that we have tried to bring meaning into our lives with. And we set all that aside. We turn our backs on it, and we recognize you are the answer, you are the way. You are our hope. Thanks for choosing us. Amen.